Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A Cut Above with Tom Hoy is proudly sponsored by Mod Shoes. Smart shoes for smart people. Shop the latest range of men's and women's footwear and clothing over at modshoes.co.uk. From Manchester, England to Brooklyn, USA. I'm Tom Hoy and you're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio. In this episode, we explore the life and in particular, of course, the style of my all-time favourite actor. I can't quite believe it's taken this long. But it is, of course... Michael Caine, a British national treasure with a film career spanning seven decades and a true icon of the silver screen. I've been an enormous fan of Michael Caine in what seems like forever. Join me, Tom Hoy, as I dig through this two-hour-long special of Michael Caine and his impeccable style. You can give me a follow on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and you can give my Facebook page, Tom Hoy, I like to keep up to date with shows, clothing reviews, and more. There's a crack up in the ceiling, and the kitchen sink is leaking. Out of work and got no money. A Sunday joint to bread and honey. What are we living for? Two rooms apartment on the second floor. Collectors not trying to get in 
to a cut above with me Tom Hoy right here on the face radio for the Michael Caine style special um, the way I got my name was I was I was a repertory actor in in the in the country, you know, and I, I didn't belong to Equity, the trade union. And I came to London and I had an agent and I, I didn't have a telephone. And so I used to, in, in Leicester Square, there was a telephone, which is like sort of Times Square here, you know. Uh, and every, every evening on weekdays, I used to phone my agent saying, have you got a job for me? And, and one night I phoned, she said, I've got a job. She said, but you, you I called, my real name is Michael White. And I called myself Michael White, you know, so that's fine. And she said, I've got a job, so, but you've got to belong to equity. And you can't be called Michael White because there's always, there's already a, a, an actor called Michael White in equity. She said, you can, all, you can call yourself Michael, but you can't call yourself White. And, and I need a name now. Think of a name. <laughs> and I was in Leicester Square, which is like Broadway with all cinemas. And my favourite actor is Humphrey Bogart at that time. And I looked round and it said, Humphrey Bogart in the Cane Mutiny. <laughs> so I said, that's a good name. So I said, she said, uh, I said, you know, call me Cain, Michael Cain. She said, how do you spell it? I said, C-A-I-N-E. <laughs> but it, it was a good job it wasn't the next theatre because I'd have been called Michael 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> I'm almost a little nervous to do this show just because there's so much different information to throw in. It's inevitable I will forget something really important and tomorrow morning I'll wake up and think, God, I forgot to mention that. But bear with me. I promise this is going to be a great show and a love letter, I hope, to the actor that I simply just love. And not just because of his acting, of course, but for his style as well. The glasses, the suits... Oh, they're just everything about him. Again, I think it comes back to that thing that we've mentioned on probably nearly every one of the episodes, which is probably, we're getting closer to that, what is the epitome of cool? And I think it's someone that 
wears things that doesn't where it looks almost like no thought has gone into what they're wearing. Michael Caine does that because his clothes look well lived in, I think. And what I mean by that is his clothes look like they're being worn to be practical, not to be stylish, when in reality they're worn to be stylish and not to be practical. I think it's a bit of like the juxtaposition. Michael Caine always looked uh, dressed for fit for purpose he could go to work in what he was wearing and go to the pub at the end of the day and still look the best dressed man in the room and be suitably dressed for wherever he ended up which I imagine in the 60s he did because he was living with Terence Stamp and I imagine those two out on the town together they would have found themselves in all sorts of places so if you had dress sense like Michael Caine I imagine you would never look out of place Kane's journey is nothing short of inspiring. He was born in 1933 in South London and his family weren't well off and he was forced to leave school at 16 to work in a variety of low-paying jobs. However, it was during this time he discovered his love for acting after visiting a local theatre with a girlfriend. In 1949, Michael Caine enlisted into the British Army for national service where he served for two years before returning to London and pursuing his passion for acting. He began taking evening classes while working odd jobs during the day and after completing training, Caine began his professional acting career in productions like The Long and The Short and The Tall and Next Time I'll Sing To You. He also made his way to the small screen, appearing in several television shows. Caine's breakthrough role came in 1964 when he played the lead in the film Zulu. Dwarfing the mightiest. Towering over the greatest. Joseph E. Levine presents... Zulu. These are the days and nights of fury and honor, of courage and cowardice that an entire century of empire-making and film-making can never surpass. This is the day when 200 Zulu maidens and 200 Zulu warriors perform their incredible mass wedding dance. This is the day when a woman fights for her honor, among men fighting for their lives. The movie was a massive success and opened the door for Kane to take on more prominent roles in British cinema. When it comes to Michael Caine and the character of James Bond, there's so many different parallels, and I'll go into it deeper later on, but one in particular, a great parallel, a triangle, if you will, between Michael Caine, um, James Bond, and John Barry, of course. John Barry wrote lots of music for the James Bond series, most of it, in fact. But um, Michael Caine, who was living with Terence Stamp, They'd both fallen out or they just both got fed up living with each other. And Michael Caine moved out. Um, and John Barry, who was Michael Caine's close friend, took him in. Um, and Michael Caine apparently said he couldn't sleep because 
John was up all night playing the piano and composing something. Um, in the morning, Michael went downstairs and said, uh, John, would you like some coffee? And uh, John said, I've done it, I've finished. And Michael said, what? What have you finished? He went, listen to this. And it was the theme tune for Goldfinger. And Michael Caine was the first person that ever heard it. Well, I'm not going to play Goldfinger right now because we had the James Bond special already. But, keeping with Michael Caine and his relationship with John Barry. And John Barry, of course, wrote the title track for the fantastic movie Zulu. And what an epic piece of music it is from a brilliant composer. Here it is. John Barry with the title theme to Zulu. One of the most iconic British war films out there. You're, of course, listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on the Face Radio for this Michael Caine style special. Now, when we're talking about Michael Caine's style, we have to mention his sense of where he came from, and that was, of course, the south of London. Michael Caine incorporated this into his both his fashion sense and also his style on screen. But something interesting about Zulu was the fact that he almost didn't get the role. He was meant to play this upper class uh, upper class officer in the British Army, but the director didn't like him because of his accent. Michael apparently did the audition, turned around, walked towards the exit. And it was his walk that got him the role, like Sean Connery getting James Bond when the producer said he moved like a Jaguar. There was something about the way Michael Caine walked and presented himself that the director thought was officer-like. And the rest, as they say, is history.
legend of Blue Note Jazz, Sonny Clark, with the brilliant Cool Strutting. You're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy, for this Michael Caine special. I'm on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and on Facebook you can find me by searching for Tom Hoy and you can give my page a like over there. I do clothing reviews, music reviews, and everything in between. There's even a few videos for you to watch as well, so go and check those out. Anyway, back to Michael Caine. Caine's era of acting in Britain, when he started anyway, was one of well-spoken dramatic actors who lost their accents at drama school. Michael's ambition was to change that and bring his true Cockney accent to the silver screen, showcasing real people. And he did that with the 1966 movie, Alfie. Released in 1966, Alfie was directed by Lewis Gilbert and stars Michael Caine as the Jack the Lad that is Alfie Elkins, a charming and womanising young man living in London. The film follows Alfie's various romantic encounters and his carefree lifestyle as he navigates through relationships with multiple women. Set against the backdrop of swinging 60s London, Alfie explores themes of love, sex and the consequences of one's actions. Alfie is a charismatic but morally ambiguous character who enjoys his bachelor lifestyle and is unwilling to commit to any serious relationships. However, as the story progresses, he begins to face the repercussions of his actions and experiences personal growth and self-reflection. Michael Caine delivers a memorable performance in Alfie, capturing the character's charm, wit and complexity. The film received critical acclaim for its honest portrayal of relationships and its social commentary on the changing attitudes towards sex and love in the 60s. Alfie became a significant success, earning several Academy Award nominations, including Best Actor for Michael Caine. The movie was remade in 2004 with Jude Law in the lead role, but the original 1966 version remains a classic of British cinema and a defining role for Michael Caine.
Michael Caine's look as Alfie was pivotal in capturing the essence of 1960s fashion through carefully selected tailored suits, fashionable shirts and stylish accessories Alfie's wardrobe embodied the mod style of the era whilst emphasising his charming persona. As a charming womaniser, Alfie's clothing showcased a sense of style and a desire to impress. His attire was a blend of smart and casual and tailored pieces, emphasising a sophisticated yet effortless charm. Throughout the film, Alfie is seen wearing a variety of outfits that reflected the evolving fashion trends of the time. He often wore tailored suits, these suits were impeccably fitted, accentuating Kane's slender frame. The trousers were usually slim-fitting and slightly tapered, in line with the mod style of the era. I even think Michael Kane almost nudged on the Ivy style of America as well. There's one where he's wearing the club jacket, but it's not an American University patch that's on there. It's the Royal Air Force logo, and I think it gives a bit of a nod to American tailoring, but with a British contemporary look about it at the same time showing that Alfie was a bit of a jet-setter. In terms of accessories, Alfie was often seen wearing narrow neckties or slim-knitted ties, reflecting fashion trends again of the time, and he would pair them with tie bars or tie pins, adding a touch of refinement to his overall appearance. The slim ties, jackets, suits and trousers all kind of gave that European look to a British role which reflected what the youth of the country were doing at the time. They were looking to Europe, looking to America for design ideas to rebel against the generation before them that had won the war. Get your knee off the steering wheel. I can't, I'm stuck. Here, look out, I'll do it. Oh! Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. My name is... Alfie! Alfie. Alfie, bubbles with impudent humour and ripe modern wit, says the New York Times. I was having a beautiful little life. There was this manageress of a dry cleaners. And I was getting a suit cleaned in the bargain. Everybody's running after Alfie. Do you love me? Uh, uh, what can I say when you ask? You shouldn't ask, you know. I'll tell you when I feel like it. Would you like me to give you something to make you sleep? Now, there's a good idea. All right, then. Come with me. Michael Caine gives a brilliant performance, says Red Book Magazine. Is Alfie really as good as all that? Now, what's the ticket about? Shelley Winters thinks so. Now, what's your address? Alfie returns the compliment. She's in lovely condition. Condition is everything in life. I'll just get you ready for your injection, Mr. Elkins. Oh, thank you, nurse. The New York Daily News gives Alfie four stars and says that people are going to stop talking about who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and start talking about Alfie. Well, well what are you so impatient about? Alfie? A delightful comedy. A direct hit. Presented in the best of humor and with complete frankness, says the New York Post. Michael Caine. Ah! is superb, says the Saturday Review. Alfie, you might say, has it made? Alfie, what's it all about? Alfie, is it just for the moment we live? I've had a lovely time, Alfie. As Life magazine puts it, you are going to enjoy Alfie very much.
Michael Caine has acted in over 130 films, and in each one he's given a performance that will be studied for decades. In the 1960s, London was known as the fashion capital of the world, and Michael Caine was at the forefront of the scene. His dapper look was crafted by a team of talented tailors, but one name that stood out was Douglas Hayward. Hayward was Caine's primary tailor, and is widely considered to be one of the greatest master tailors of his time. Hayward established his tailoring business in the heart of London's Mayfair district during the early 60s and at the same time when Kane was rising to fame. At the beginning of their relationship, Kane was a struggling young actor and could not afford custom-made clothes. Hayward, who recognised Kane's potential, made him three suits on credit. Those suits helped cement Kane's image as a stylish and sophisticated actor and he quickly became the darling of the London fashion scene. Kane's suits were the epitome of 60s fashion. Most of them were made from mohair, a lightweight wool fabric with a distinct sheen. Many of the suits featured tapered trousers and narrow lapels, a sharp contrast to the boxy oversized designs of the past decade. Towards the end of the 60s, Kane's style began to evolve as he moved towards more casual clothing. However, his esteemed relationship with Hayward continued throughout the years, and Kane has often credited his tailor for his impeccable look. Michael Caine and Douglas Hayward are the two legendary personalities that left a significant mark on the fashion industry that is still widely celebrated today. He was much more than a tailor. I mean, here in this where we're shooting, this was like a, 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 a gathering place. You're, whenever you were away, you came in here and then you saw everybody uh, sitting around in, on these sofas, just sitting around having a cup of coffee. You could always fall in here about half past 12 and find someone to go to lunch with and it, it was like a club in here really like a club it was brilliant tailoring without drawing any attention to itself whatsoever you didn't care that anyone didn't notice it you knew you see it wasn't for anyone else it was for you and his clientele are not people who were out to impress with their clothing they were out to dress well and feel good, which we did and do. I've got his jacket on now, I feel good. <laughs> you know, Michael, when he's not on camera, <laughs> he's fairly scruffy. Uh, but, uh, you know, Dougie smartened him up. He polished up quite well. Something I love about Michael Caine was his close relationship with James Bond. And it wasn't just the character, but one of the men that played him himself, Roger Moore. They were really good friends. Michael Caine and Roger Moore first met in the early 60s when they were both budding actors. At the time, Caine was working as a stage actor, whilst Moore was appearing in TV shows like Ivanhoe and The Alaskans. Later on, the two went on to appear together in the film Bullseye, a 1990 comedy that was poorly received by critics, but still allowed the two actors to share the screen together. The heart of Caine and Moore's relationship was their personal friendship, Kane has described Moore as the kindest, most generous person he has ever met, and the two remained close until Moore's death in 2017. One of the things that the two actors had in common was a love for practical jokes. Kane has spoken in interviews about how Moore loved to play pranks on set, often distracting his co-stars on set so they would mess up their lines. However, Kane has also revealed that he once got the upper hand on Moore when he convinced him to audition for a role in a fake movie. Throughout their friendship, Kane and Moore supported each other through the ups and downs of their lives and careers. Moore was there for Kane after the death of his first wife and during the struggles with alcoholism. 
and Kane, of course, was a shoulder to lean on for more as he battled with cancer. While the two actors may have had different careers and personalities, they shared a deep connection that lasted until the very end. It's a very well-known fact that Michael Caine was offered the role of James Bond in the 60s. However, Caine ultimately turned down the iconic part for fear of being typecast. Can you imagine that? The boom of spy films in the 60s can be attributed to a few different factors. Firstly, the Cold War and the escalating tensions between the US and the USSR created a heightened interest in the world of espionage. Additionally, the popularity of Ian Fleming's James Bond novels spurred the creation of numerous film adaptations, which in turn led to other studios and filmmakers wanting to capitalise on the success of the spy genre. The 60s also marked a significant shift in filmmaking and, te- and, technological, and technological advancements, allowing for further, more elaborate and stylized action sequences, further fueling the popularity of spy films. concerns you. Yes, you. And you. You will forget all about the Ipcress trial. You have forgotten your name. In truth, his name is Michael Kay, and no one will forget his name. Michael Kay. He walks straight into sensational stardom in the Ipcrest file as he gets right under the skin of the brash, cocky, wry-humoured Harry Palmer. The soldier seconded from the army for security duties, who's never far away from a girl, and always closer than close to trouble. Now get this. I'm going to tell you until I know you're clean. If you're not clean, I'm going to kill you. Both these men cover the British security network, but each keeps his own counsel and his own secrets. The one on the left is Dolby of the Home Office, a passed over major, but nothing passes him by now. A word in your shell-like ear. If there's anything to be reported to Ross, I report it. Understand? Yes, sir. This is Colonel Ross of the War Office. I want you to do a job for me. Any choice? Frankly, no. She's Jean Courtney, one of the agents Harry works alongside. But whose side is she on? You're working for Ross. He sent you here. Don't be silly. I'm working for Dolby. Between the kisses and the double crosses, they are all working for somebody whilst you get the closest workover of them all as you actively share the stark, dangerous secrets of the Ipcress file. Move over for today's most sensational hypnotic meeting with suspense.
Michael Caine, of course, had his own brilliant spy series, the Harry Palmer series, starting off with The Ipcris File. Released in 1965, The Ipcris File is an espionage film directed by Sidney J. Fury and starring, of course, as Harry Palmer himself, the main character, Michael Caine. It is based on a novel of the same name by Len Dayton. The film tells the story of Harry Palmer, a British spy who is tasked with investigating a brainwashing plot. The movie was a critical and commercial success and is considered a classic of the spy genre. The reception of the film was highly positive. It was praised for its intelligent writing, realistic depiction of espionage and subtle humour. Critics also lauded Michael Caine's performance as Harry Palmer, with many considering it to be one of his best roles. The film's score, composed by John Barry, was also well-received and went on to become a classic of its own.
The Ipcris file was noted for its departure from the glamorous portrayal of espionage seen in the world of James Bond movies, and instead, the film depicted the gritty reality of the Cold War and its spies. Harry Palmer was portrayed as a regular working-class guy who found himself thrust into the world of espionage by circumstance rather than choice. The film's success led to two sequels, Funeral in Berlin and Billion Dollar Brain, both of which starred Michael Caine as Harry Palmer. However, neither film was able to capture the same magic as the original, and the Ipcus file remains the most beloved entry in the series. In recent years, the Ipcus file has had its own ITV remake, and has been reappraised as a classic of the spy genre, and a vital example of British new wave cinema. Its influence can be seen in the realistic and gritty portrayals of spy work in films such as Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and the TV series... The Americans. Overall, The Ipcris File was and continues to be a critical and popular success. Its intelligent writing, realistic portrayal of espionage and iconic score made it a classic choice of the spy genre and a vital part of British cinema history. The film's costume designer, Muriel Dixon, created a timeless and memorable wardrobe that still inspires fashion trends today. Michael Caine finally brought a character to the screen that was a main character, of course, as well, that wore glasses. He replicated the common man, and it made me very happy when I first saw it. The fact that he wore glasses... I mean, I've seen so many kind of uh, interviews with um, American journalists being like, why are you wearing glasses? And Michael Caine was like, well, I wear glasses, and the regular man wears glasses. I really respect him for that. The beige Mac kind of had that American G-Man look, but obviously in a British setting. And he, I mean, he didn't wear the tuxedo. He looked like a regular guy, much like a, a normal guy in MI6 would have them days. If I had to dress as a movie character for the rest of my life, it would be Harry Palmer. A notable characteristic of Harry Palmer's style is that it's distinctly British. It's working class as well. Unlike the suave and sophisticated James Bond, Palmer represents a more realistic portrayal of a spy. He dresses in a more understated and practical manner, often often wearing plain, well-tailored suits that are a bit more rough around the edges. His clothing choices reflect his background as a former army sergeant and his no-nonsense approach to espionage. Palmer's suits are typically typically single-breasted with narrow lapels, emphasising a slim and fitted silhouette that was popular during the 60s. He often pairs them with a button-down shirt and a tie, opting for muted colours colors such as navy grey or brown. This subdued colour palette aligns with the covert nature of his work, allowing him to blend into his surroundings and avoid drawing unnecessary attention. In terms of accessories, Palmer is often seen wearing a simple wristwatch and a pair of black-framed glasses. The glasses not only serve a functional purpose, but also contribute to his overall image as an intellectual spy and analytical spy. They add a touch of intellectualism to his appearance, emphasising his intelligence and attention to detail. While Harry Palmer is a fictional character, his style and appearance do resonate with the dressing sense of real spies working for MI6 during the 60s, The British intelligence officers of that era often adopted a more discreet and unassuming approach to their retire, favouring understated and conventional clothing. This was in line with the need to maintain a low profile and avoid attracting attention, whilst conducting covert operations. 
Top secret means top risk. The Ipcress file, the spy thriller that's hot. Says Newsweek, a thinking man's goldfinger, funnier than any of the Bond films and more rewarding too. The Ipcress file in color. You're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy, for this Michael Caine style special. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. We're going to have a musical break now, but it's still lots more to come from Michael Caine. And now, though, we're going to go to a brilliant record on Blue Note again, and it is the fantastic Just A Hip with Down Home. Thank you. 
Welcome back. You're listening to a cut above right here on the Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy. And it is, of course, the Michael Caine style special this evening. Remember, you can follow me on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and you can find my Facebook page over at Tom Hoy. Give me a like there to stay up to date, look at clothing reviews, and lots, lots more. Remember, after you've checked out the show or had a listen to the show, why not go over to the sponsor, the brilliant Mod Shoes and 66 Clothing. If you go on over to modshoes.co.uk, they've got loads of uh, different styles of footwear like loafers, um, classic uh, sneakers, trainers, um, cord shoes, which are absolutely gorgeous and you will not find anywhere else. I just got a pair of cord pumps from them, very uh, like Nevesta, if you know what if you know Nevesta. Um, uh, it's kind of like a, a, a kind of a military shoe that kind of you would have seen back in the day, a bit like Superga from Italy. Um, lovely stuff. They do lots of shoes based on ones the Beatles wore, and who knows, there might be a couple there that Michael Caine may have wore himself. I'm sure he would have worn a pair of mod shoes, Earl loafers. Go and check those out. But right now, though, let's get back to the Michael Caine style special. Questi giorni quando vieni 
il bel sole la la When skies are blue and fields are green I look around and think about what might have been And then I hear sweet music float around my head As I recall the many things we left unsaid It's on days like these that I remember singing songs and drinking wine while your eyes play games with mine On days like these I wonder what became of you Maybe today you're singing songs with someone new I'd like to think you're walking by those willow trees Remembering On days like these It's on days like these That I remember Singing songs and drinking wine While your eyes play games with mine On days like these I wonder what Became of you Maybe today You're singing songs With someone new Questi giorni Quando vieni Il bel sole La la Italian job. A seating chaos, a smash and grab rate, and four million dollars. Four million dollars? I think we could take that over, Roger. Go! You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Good evening, Roger. Croker. I've got a job lined up. Get out of here. It's, it's all here. Maps, drawings, plans, everything. 
You've been put up to this, haven't you? You've been bribed to upset my natural rhythm and ruin my health. Michael Caine does the Italian job on the outside. Masterminding the job from the inside, Noel Coward. Two gentlemen on the job. Does Mr. Bridget think he can take over Europe from a prison cell? Wait till you see them Italian birds. Oh, they're big. I like them big. No, really? <laughs> big, big. Also on the Italian job, Ralph Fallon, Tony Beckley, Maggie Bly, Rosano Brazzi. I want Charlie Croker given a good going over. Hello, Charlie. Lovely Charlie. Nice Charlie. Good to see you, Charlie. Um, now, what would you like? <laughs> Everything. Hi! Knock that bloody water cannon out! Okay, now it's time for the big one that I'm sure most of you listening know. I'm sure you probably do. It is the 1969 iconic classic that is The Italian Job. And I think this is probably the first thing I ever saw of Michael Caine. And it was my introduction into him as an actor, definitely. I do remember, for some reason, every year in the UK, um, I'd be at my grandparents' um, kind of the day after Boxing Day, so the 27th of December, and it always seemed to be on TV then, whether ITV owned the rights or something to that film to show it exclusively then, it always used to be on then. So I always, kind of in my head, the 27th of December for me is Italian Job Day. The day before that Boxing Day, that was the great escape. But the 27th was always... Italian job was going to be on TV. I didn't even need to look at the TV Guide magazine. I knew it was going to be on. Five. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Four, three, two, one, go. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! The Italian job was released in 1969 and it was directed by Peter Collinson and produced by Michael Dealey. The film is known for its stylish heist plot and iconic car chase scenes and here's a rundown of the film. The film follows a group of British criminals who plan an elaborate heist to steal gold bullion from a heavily guarded vault in Turin, Italy. Led by the charismatic Charlie Croker, played by Michael Caine, the gang assembles a team of experts in various fields, including safe-cracking, driving, and computer hacking. They come up with an audacious plan to create a traffic jam in the city, allowing them to make their escape with the gold. The film was shot in various locations, primarily in the United Kingdom and Italy. Some notable locations include... Turin, Italy, the film's main setting where the heist takes place, featuring the famous traffic jam sequence, and of course, London, where several scenes were filmed in and around the city, including the opening sequence. And what's really cool style-wise about the film, you really get thrown straight into kind of um, the swinging 60s uh, Carnaby look of London. There's so many scenes where you can see down there, um, people are just milling about, kind of dressed, and you can tell it's full-on Beetle, love is, love, love is the drug kind of thing going on and uh, full-on hippies everywhere. What a time to be in London. In fact, Charlie Croker's apartment is actually in Notting Hill. Um, but that looks amazing. I, what I would give to be able to go back to uh, London in that time and just have a walk around. Um, so the Italian job featured an ensemble cast, amazing cast lineup of Michael Caine, of course, as Charlie Croker, Noel Coward as Mr. Bridger, a crime boss who assists Croker's gang from his prison cell, Benny Hill, the iconic comedian, as Professor Peach, an eccentric computer expert, Raph Vallon as Altabani, a mafia boss who becomes entangled in the heist, Tony Beckley as Freddie Hawkins, a skilled safecracker and member of the gang, uh, Rosano Brazzi as Beckerman, a contact in Italy who helps the gang, and Maggie Bly as Lorna Croker's love interest. The Italian job is renowned for its mix of comedy, action, and memorable characters. It gained a cult following and became a classic of British cinema. The film's success led to a remake in 2003, although I'm not that much of a fan of it, and it stars Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, and Edward Norton, among many others. Does Mr. Bridget think he can take over Europe from a prison cell? Huh? <laughs> Your car? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty car.
wait for. Italians in Britain, and they'll be made to suffer. Every restaurant, cafe, ice cream parlour, gambling den and nightclub in London, Liverpool and Glasgow will be smashed. The costume design in the film reflected the fashion trends and styles of the era. Set in the swinging 60s, the film showcased a vibrant and youthful aesthetic that was popular at the time. The characters in the film were dressed in a variety of fashionable outfits that represented the different social classes and personalities. The main characters, led by Michael Caine's character Charlie Croker, sported a mix of tailored suits and casual attire. The suits were often slim-fitting with narrow lapels, reflecting the sleek and modern look at the time. For the female characters, the costumes highlighted the fashionable and glamorous side of 1960s fashion. They wore stylish dresses and skirts with bold patterns, often quite Mary Quant, bright colours and mod-inspired geometric designs. The women also embraced popular trends like miniskirts and knee-high boots, which were iconic symbols of the era. Accessories played a significant role in completing the looks of the characters. Men wore skinny ties, pocket squares, sunglasses, adding a touch of sophistication to their outfits. Women adorned themselves with statement jewellery, such as large earrings and chunky, chunky bracelets, as well as fashionable handbags. The costume design in the Italian job captured the essence of the 1960s fashion scene, characterised by its boldness, youthful energy and a departure from traditional styles. The film's costumes reflected the spirit of the era and helped define the visual aesthetic of the movie. One of my favourite Michael Caine outfits is also featured in that film. Um, I mean, the, all of his wardrobe is great, but there's a particular scene where he's in Turin Airport saying goodbye to Lorna, who's and he's telling her to get on the plane. And he's wearing this gorgeous kind of uh, two-piece linen suit, uh, like a stone colour, and he's got a lovely pair of tortoiseshell wayfarers on. Um, and he looks fantastic. The film also shows off how well a shirt that matches the tie can actually work and I would love that to come back in fashion I think it's very much a thing of the period but there's um, times where there'll be like a floral print like print shirt and Michael Caine's tie matches the print it's like a Liberty print it almost looks like something you could have got from Liberty back in the day or kind of any from the any of the boutiques on Carnaby Street Yes, well, there we are, Captain Croker. I think you'll find we've kept it in uh, <laughs> perfect, Tom. I'll just run the engine for you, shall I? 
Hear what it sounds like. There we are. You want me to just hold you? Hold. Hold. Thank you very much. There we are. Now, um, yes, I can. Uh, How are you yeah, doing? I, 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 I can see what's wrong. It, it's very, very small. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know. No, it's all right. Uh, leave it, leave it. Uh, shall I uh, yeah, your... You uh, shut it now. I'll lock it all. Thank you. Oh, how are you yeah, doing? Oh, yeah. Just, it's a little tight. I dare say. There we are. I haven't been in this car for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, uh, I gather you've uh, been in India for about uh, two years. Uh. Yeah, shooting tigers. Oh, really? That's been. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the garage bill, sir. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid it's um, uh, 200 pounds. Ah. Uh, but of course, if you insist, we, ah. we can charge it. Oh, no, no. <laughs> please, please. There's a, there's a bounty for shooting tigers, you know. Oh, well, I mean, there's <laughs> no... 50 pounds a head. Yeah. Really, uh, there's no need um, to, to, to these pay... These are wrapped in little bundles. I see, 200. yes. Well, there's no need to pay... No, by... that's quite all right. Yes. Yes, you must have uh, shot an awful lot of tigers, sir. Yes, I used a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> When we think of the Italian job, one of the first things that comes to our minds is the soundtrack, um, even if that, that sometimes even comes before the three Mini Coopers and the fantastic costumes, purely because of how effective it is. And of course, it was done by the incredible um, composer Quincy Jones, an absolute legend. Um, he managed to blend jazz, funk and soul um, into making a contemporary soundtrack for the time that kind of... I don't know, those songs are standalone hits. Um, I mean, I heard he even wrote it alongside Michael Caine. He, he kind of, when he was announced um, that he was going to be the composer for the film, he rang Michael Caine and got Michael Caine to teach him Cockney rhyming slang down the end of the phone so that he could um, write lyrics that were kind of perfect for the film. You would think that that had been written by someone that was born and bred in London and... Um, Obviously, with Michael Caine's help, Michael Caine's help, that kind of the soundtrack was absolutely perfect for the film. Jones masterfully tapped into a cultural zeitgeist of the '60s, incorporating elements of the era's music into the soundtrack. The film score features infectious grooves, vibrant brass arrangements, and soulful vocals that pay homage to the musical trends at the time. By doing so, Jones ensured that the music became a time capsule of the swinging 60s, immersing viewers in the film setting and enhancing their connection to the story.
words. Sorry, words. Well, listen. Ah, oh, that's better. Let me rest me poor old plates of meat. Yes, I shall be sorry to get up the apples and pears and jump into Uncle Ned tonight. I say, what is all this? Uncle Pears, apples and Ned? Oranges and lemons? I don't get it at all. I don't understand it. Why, I thought everybody knew Cockney rhyming slang. I could tell you hundreds. Well, perhaps we'd better explain. A Cockney slang word or phrase rhymes with the proper word, like plates of meat with feet. All he wants now are his daisy roots. Roots rhymes with boots. So apples and pears stands for stairs. Up she goes and gets a good kick out of it. Of course, you didn't notice her shapely scotch pegs. They mean... Now, whoever would have thought it. Now, here are some other common cockneyisms you may run across. These particular ones are all linked together and may all concern just one person. For instance, what can love and kisses mean but the missus, the trouble and strife, the wife? And ain't you got a lovely tit for tit for tat at... Blimey, look at her bonnet fair, air. That funny little round thing underneath her air is a gym mace. You get it? A feist, pardon face. And I ask you, did you ever see such mince pies? Yes, she caught me with a saucy pen and ink. Right, you want some more? Pig's ear. Run the houses. Jack the Ripper. Peppermint Rocks. You got them all right? Well, try this one. And that's the nasty blot. The lot. Very often I read in the newspapers about what a great life uh, movie actors have. They stay out all night uh, drinking and having a great time. I never read anything about uh, any work that actors do. In actual fact, we work very, very hard, I think. Um, for instance, I'll give, I'll give you for instance. Uh, the time, this is, today is a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday in January, very miserable day. It's 25 past 10. Now, Tony, just, Tony, just pan round, pan round. And this, now, this is my lounge on a Tuesday morning in January. I had a farewell party last night because I'm going away, and that's the first party I've been to in months. And this is what's happening to me on a Tuesday morning in January. Now, this is my first holiday for four and a half years and uh, admittedly I don't have to do this I mean people from the television didn't force their way in I was just trying to point out that in actual fact an actor is never on holiday and we have to do the publicity and everything which is not a bad chore considering we get overpaid a fortune but we'd never keep it anyway I don't know why I, I, uh, I started on this this morning I guess I got out of bed the wrong side. But what it was is yesterday I read an article about myself 
called How Michael Caine Gets the Girls. You know, How Michael Caine Gets the Girls. What time do I have to get any girls? If you have any, send them along. <laughs> Hello, you are listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy, for this Michael Caine style special. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Remember, you can go and follow me on all my different social media platforms. I'm on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and over on Facebook. I have a Facebook page simply called my name, which is Tom Hoy. So why not go and check those out? Plenty more to come from Michael Caine, but we're going to have another musical break now. It's Ohio, Ohio by Pink Martini.
Welcome back. You're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy, for this special style of Michael Caine special. Now, something maybe not style related, but something you may not know, something I think that doesn't get talked about a lot about Michael Caine was the fact during World War II, he was an evacuee, so he moved out of London into the countryside. As World War II unfolded, the German Luftwaffe's bombing campaign targeted major cities in the United Kingdom. The British government initiated a massive evacuation effort to safeguard children and vulnerable individuals from the potential dangers of air raids. This endeavour, known as Operation Pied Piper, aimed to relocate millions of people, especially children, to safer areas in the countryside. At the age of seven... Michael was evacuated from London and sent to the countryside away from the threat of German bombs. Kane's evacuation was a pivotal moment in his young life. Separated from his parents and sent to live with a foster family, he had to adapt to an unfamiliar environment and a different way of life. The experience provided him with a unique perspective on the hardships faced by evacuees during that tumultuous era. During his time as an evacuee, Kane lived in various locations, including Norfolk and the English Midlands. He witnessed the resilience and resourcefulness of the British people as they coped with the challenges of war. These experiences deeply impacted his worldview, instilling him in a sense of determination and belief that hard work could lead to success. The evacuation experience played a significant role in shaping Michael Caine's character and aspirations. It fueled his drive to break free from the constraints of his humble beginnings and pursue a career in acting. This is the house I used to live in. It's not changed very much. The house is still exactly the same. And there were six families of us lived in here, each with two rooms. There were no fathers, they were all in the army. and we all lived in there, a mother and a family with a living room and a bedroom each. We were always down there, Vaccary children. We were murder, real murder. We'd been cooped up in Bermondsey and suddenly we had all these fields to run into and there were apples on trees instead of in shops. One's always reading books about the sort of rustic, rambustious sensuality and rolls in the hay and all that sort of thing. And there was a tremendous amount of that uh, going on, as I remember. Um, I remember, as far as this subject was concerned, of course, I, I wasn't an expert, but I sort of became very aware at, at a very early age. And um, although I never, of course, did very, anything very rustic or rambustious myself, I did fall in love. I fell madly in love with two very nice girls who I used to go blackberrying with on the common. And they were twins, Jean and Daphne Barrett. Sort of looking at things and, and, and thinking of uh, eventual life. Say, uh, psychiatrically, you see, Jean and Daphne Barrett started me off uh, in a very uh, innocent way. We used to have to go over and get for medicine, didn't we? You know, for the school, didn't you remember that? We all used to have to go. And did course, medicine, yeah, what yeah. was that? that for was the war, during the war time, we used to have to go and get medicine, for the, to make medicine with these blackberries oh, and rose hips. Ah, oh, they did the rose hip syrup. Yeah. For me, the the country was a fabulous place, and it, it was a bit like uh, being Huckleberry Finn. Hello, Mrs. Mallows. Hello, Mike. <laughs> How are you? Nice to, to see you. Yes, that's nice to Come see on. you. 
How have you been? Oh, I've been keeping fine. Have thanks. you been keeping fine? Yes. Oh Mum yes. sends her love. Yes, well, we I'm pleased I want to have a talk with you about Mum. Did you? Yes. Well, uh, I, I wrote to her and yes. to you. Did you? Yes. Did you? Did she write, write? I don't write in the letters only went as far as Lynn because I didn't know your address. Ah. So I put on what I thought, hoping yes. by putting what I did on the envelope, yes. they would uh, sort of say, well, we've heard about Michael Caine and that sort of thing. <laughs> <and> poetry, <laughs> yeah. But I reckon they only got as far as Lynn and they yeah. came back again. So I've got them here. Yes. I saved them all this time. Thought, well, perhaps sometime or other yeah. I should get them to him. Well, why, why don't I take one them back on me? Well, you can. One is for you and one is for your mother. Yes. <laughs> I've got all your cuttings out of the newspapers. And Did you? Yes, and any advertisements of you. Yeah. I've saved them all. Oh, what I'm going to do in the summer... Yes. Is when it gets a bit warmer, you know, because it's yes. not too good now. No. Is in the summer I'll, I'll bring my mother back. Yes, do. And come down and have some tea one afternoon. Because yes. it, it be only takes about... You, you, well, you, you'd be okay, wouldn't it? Well, yes, yeah, of course yeah. it would. I because wouldn't have been too pleased to have her. Yes, okay, certainly. Thank you very yes. much. Right. Goodbye. Bye, bye then. See Pleased you later to see you. Bye-bye yes. then. Bye. I shall see you again then. Okay, love. Yes. Bye. Bye-bye all for the moment. An excerpt there from Candid Kane, the BBC documentary that was made. Um, where you actually get to see inside where Michael Caine grew up, his family home with his mum and his brother, and um, also um, where he was an evacuee. And it's actually all available on YouTube, and it's well worth a watch. Um, so go and check that one out. It's called Candid Kane. One day, a professional killer went home to visit his family and found his brother murdered. Now, who killed him? I don't know nothing. Listen... The only reason I came back to this crap house was to find out who did it. And I'm not leaving till I do. Michael Caine is Carter, a man with unbridled hate. Do you want to be dead, Albert? For Christ's sake! You knew what I'd do, didn't you, Albert? Listen, Christ, I didn't kill him! I know you did! When a professional killer hates, he turns animal. And there becomes but one law in the underworld jungle. Get Carter. Get Carter. Before Carter gets you. Don't let us interrupt you. No. Don't you think you ought to get dressed first? Come on, Jack, put it away. You know you won't use it. Uh, the gun he needs. <laughs> Out. Carter, the heated killer, the cool lover. Carter, a man of few words. A man of decisive action. I've come for you, Margaret. Take your clothes off. Few words. Decisive action. <laughs> Hate drives the hunter. No, no! Fear pursues the hunted. They have killed me! They killed my brother! He's dead! <laughs> Carter spreading terror with an uncontrolled trigger. Carter was a killer by profession. Now he is a killer by instinct. 
Michael Caine is Carter. Get Carter before Carter gets you. On to another classic now, and this is a yet another film where Michael Caine is in a film with an amazing soundtrack. Roy Budd is responsible for that one, but we'll get on to that in just a second. Michael Caine's character, Jack Carter, is a London gangster returning to his hometown to investigate the mysterious death of his brother. Caine's wardrobe in Get Carter is sleek, sharp and effortlessly stylish, reflecting his character's confidence and determination. Carter's clothing choices consist of impeccably tailored suits, crisp shirts and luxurious accessories, all of which contribute to his sophisticated and intimidating presence. It really kind of stamps out as well he's this guy that's moved to london he's gone to the big city he's got himself a new suit and he's moving back he's going back up north to solve a family problem one of the most memorable fashion items in Kit carter is of course one we can't forget about it is the trench coat worn by carter the trench coat is a classic staple of british fashion and it adds on an air of mystery and intrigue to carter's character with its clean lines and timeless design the coat becomes a symbol of his authority and power Kane's portrayal of Carter in his signature trench coat has since become an iconic image associated with the film. The film's costume design team paid meticulous attention to the details of Michael Kane's suits, ensuring they fit impeccably and reflected the era's, fa- the era's fashion trends. Carter's suits are predominantly dark-coloured, with a preference for black and charcoal grey. The slim-cut silhouette of the suits accentuates Kane's lean physique and gives him a sleek, modern appearance. The suits are often paired with crisp white shirts, solid solid coloured ties and polished leather shoes, completing the polished look.
Get Carter is another film that Michael Caine's in that's just got an amazing soundtrack. I've got this one on record and I often will DJ the title track amongst many others on there. There's so many cool ones and it, uh, they span genres as well. Uh, the soundtrack, of course, is by Roy Budd. Uh, Roy Budd was um, from London as well, South London. Um, he exhibited extraordinary musical talent from a young age, learning to play the piano by ear without any formal training, and he was the perfect match for Git Carter. When director Mike Hodges was searching for someone to compose the score for Git Carter, he discovered Roy Budd's work and recognised his unique talent. Uh, Hodges was impressed by Budd's ability to create atmospheric and evocative music, making him the perfect choice to capture the essence of the film. One of the most memorable aspects of the Git Carter soundtrack is is the instant recognisable theme that you just heard. Roy Budd composed a hauntingly beautiful melody that perfectly captures that brooding and intense nature um, throughout the film. The main film features a combination of jazz and funk elements layered with orchestral arrangements and rhythmic percussion. The result is a mesmerising composition that sets the tone for the entire movie. I'm sure you'll be listening to that one again later. I'm constantly playing that. Um, Not many months go by where I don't at least listen to the Get Carter soundtrack once. Um, Bud's score for Get Carter showcases the versatility, his versatility as a composer. Throughout the film, he masterfully uh, blends different musical genres, incorporating jazz, funk, and even classical. The dynamic range of styles allows the music to adapt and enhance various scenes, intensifying the emotions and adding depth to the storytelling. If you can honestly get yourself a copy of it on vinyl, really recommend you do so. You'll be surprised how much you play it. Unless you already do. Well done. Here's another amazing track from that film. It is Love is a Four-Letter Word. Look inside your dictionary And L-O-V-E you will see But nothing in the dictionary Will tell you what that word can be Love is a four-letter word Love is a four-letter word a four-letter word Love As you've already heard Love Is a four-letter word But if you believe it's simple do you know as well You can also spell it H-E-double-L Love Is a four-letter
is a falling away. During the filming of the famous opening scene where Michael Caine's character Jack Carter attends his brother's funeral, a rain machine was used to create a sombre atmosphere. However, due to a technical glitch, the rain machine malfunctioned, drenching the entire crew. Despite the unexpected mishap, Caine remained in character and continued with the scene, adding an authentic touch to the gloomy funeral sequence and that wasn't the only mishap that happened in one of the film's most thrilling scenes jack carter engages in a dramatic chase across rooftops michael kane known for performing many of his own stunts insisted on doing the rooftop the rooftop sequence himself however during the take he slipped and almost fell off the roof narrowly avoiding a serious accident kane's commitment to realism made the scene all the more gripping but it also posed risks to his safety. Now that is a dedicated actor.
Toby Hayes with a pint of bitter. Well, I'm afraid we have come to the end of another episode of A Cut Above, and it's been an absolute pleasure to make a Michael Caine special. Michael Caine has a special place in my heart, and I will forever think he's the greatest actor of all time. So I really hope you've enjoyed this one at home. Um, From his role as Alfie to his portrayal of the suave spy Harry Palmer, Kane has brought an undeniable charm to each character through his sartorial choices. His ability to embody the essence of a character through fashion is a testament to his attention to detail and understanding of the power of personal style. What makes Kane's style truly remarkable is its versatility. He seamlessly transitions from tailored suits that exude sophistication to more casual ensembles, always looking effortlessly cool and confident. It is this ability to adopt and embrace various styles that has made Kane a timeless fashion icon whose influence transcends generations. Kane's style continues to inspire and resonate with fashion enthusiasts worldwide, from the iconic trench coat in Get Carter to his signature glasses and impeccably tailored suits. His fashion choices have become iconic symbols associated with his name. And it's been an absolute pleasure, as I said, to make this one. I really hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can follow me on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and over on Facebook at TomHoy. You can give me a like there. Wherever you are listening and whenever you are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. All the best and take care. And there's only one way to end now, and it's from this clip of Michael Caine recently accepting an award, which I think pretty much sums up what a nice guy he is. So all the best, thank you, and take it away, Michael. He just handed me that award, and it's the heaviest award I've ever come across in my life. It's really, really quite, quite difficult. When I think of my life, and this is an award for achievements, I started out as a nobody from nowhere who knew nothing, and just wandered on, and wandered on, and wandered on, and achieved, and achieved, and achieved. God knows how I did it, having the foggiest idea. I was just very, very lucky, you know? And I've always been very happy doing what I'm doing. And now I have all these lifetime achievements. And what you have done for me is amazing because you've given me an award for something that I love dearly, my life. Thank you. Yeah.